Welcome to the Outthinker Podcast. Each week, we talk with forward-looking strategists and innovators that are challenging the status quo, leading the future of business, and shaping our world. I'm your host, Kyan Krippendorf, founder of the Outthinker Strategy Network. Fred Reichelt is the creator of the Net Promoter Score, or NPS. He's a Bain Fellow and the founder of their loyalty practice, which helps companies achieve results through customer and employee loyalty. His work in the area of customer and employee retention has quantified the link between loyalty and profits. He is the author of numerous best-selling books, including The Loyalty Effect, Loyalty Rules, one of my favorites, The Ultimate Question, The Ultimate Question 2.0. His work has been widely covered in outlets like The Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Financial Times, Fortune, Business Week, and The Economist. Consulting Magazine chose Fred as one of the 25 most influential consultants. According to The New York Times, he put loyalty economics on the map. The Economist refers to him as the high priest of loyalty. In this episode, he shares key takeaways from his most recent book, Winning on Purpose, The Unbeatable Strategy of Loving Customers. He outlines how too many companies misuse and even abuse NPS. He offers lessons from companies who get it right, like Apple Retail, Philips, Schwab, Allianz, American Express, and Intuit. He describes why our historical view of capitalism is fading and why the emerging concept of capitalism will lead you to becoming truly customer-centric. He challenges us by showing why focusing on investor returns or even employee happiness is short-sighted and why establishing a really powerful and really living a core purpose is fundamental to your company's long-term success. Ladies and gentlemen, Fred Reichelt. Fred, thank you. It is such an honor to have you here with us. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. So I read with great interest your new book, Winning on Purpose. And of course, NPS is so broadly known and so broadly adopted. You introduced that almost 20 years ago. What was the reason to revisit that now? Well, I've been deeply disappointed by how poorly companies have utilized the Net Promoter set of ideas in our system. It's been wonderful to have Net Promoter adopted so broadly and accepted across the business community. I read in Fortune magazine last year that they believe over two-thirds of the Fortune 1000 now use Net Promoter. I would say there's still only a tiny fraction of companies using it effectively and get Mm -hmm. anywhere near its full potential. What do you see companies are not doing correctly or how are they misusing NPS? In this new book, Winning on Purpose, I go through all those specifics, but what I've realized in writing the book was there is a bigger issue that's getting in the way. You could point to, oh, people are linking it to frontline compensation, and there's pleading and gaming and on and on, but these are all specific, and I think they're symptoms. The root cause of people misusing it is they don't understand the core philosophy behind Net Promoter, and that is that the primary purpose a company exists is to enrich the lives of its customers. And what I've discovered to my chagrin is that that's a tiny minority position these days. Bain did a survey of a couple hundred executives, a panel of senior C-suite people generally, and asked them, what's the primary purpose your company exists? Only 10% said it was customers. Most of them think it's either investors or a great place to work or some balanced scorecard mishmush, which is very politically correct. And obviously, you have to serve everyone you touch. But the notion that customers come first has completely been lost. And I hope this book can get people Mm. back on track. 
could you just untangle that for us a little bit? Because you know, a theme that comes up often here is if you focus on employees and make them happy, they'll make your customers happy. Or there is the idea of this multi-stakeholder company, right? Where we're going to serve society and an environment. Why don't they work? And why, if you follow those strands, do you come back to customer? Well, and you forgot to mention, and we need to have an inspiring purpose that rallies the troops. And in this day and age of the grace resignation, how can we get this young, digitally savvy talent to jump on board and work hard? I think these are all important ideas and they're necessary. But what I've found is unless you get leaders in a company who inspire their teams to enrich the lives of their customers, that's the mission. And that's the way to think about it. The leader's job is not to make their employees happy. Customers make employees happy for the most part, because when you serve a customer and they are thankful and they refer you to friends and they treat you with dignity and respect and they give you helpful hints to get better, that makes you feel like you're living a worthwhile life. So the leader's job is to help team members earn that and make sure the customers feel the love so they come back for more and bring their friends. And that's what makes it a great community. And of course, there's a standard of behavior based on golden rule. We treat each other in that caring, loving way, but the whole community in a business has to put customers first or the whole thing collapses. Got it. And can you define golden rule for us in the way that you define it? Yeah. I mean, in the old days, if you go back to Confucius, thousands of years Mm -hmm. before the common era, it's don't do bad things to other people. And even through the Torah, I think it's pretty much don't do bad things. Then you get to a book of Matthew says, no, treat others the way you want to be treated, which is a little bit better. Mm -hmm. I think the golden rule in its best formulation is close to this idea of love thy neighbor as thyself. Treat people with loving care. Treat people the way you'd want a loved one treated. And it's a very high standard because you can't just do that and forget about the communities that are supporting that relationship. And you can't do it in a way that destroys your sustainability or dignity. So you have to find ways to enrich the life of a customer in a way that makes your life better and strengthens the communities and the values that they stand for. Golden Rule is a simple idea. It's been around a long time. But I think businesses are uniquely positioned to help build communities where treating people to that standard is possible. So I'm trying to imagine a strategist coming to leadership and using words like love, community, Golden Rule. And I love personally how much that language was infused in your work. But how do you tend to overcome the associations, entailments, and reactions to that kind of language? Yeah, because people, I mean, the subtitle of the book is the unbeatable strategy of loving customers. It's obviously true when you think about it, when customers feel the love, when they feel they can trust someone to treat them with loving care, of course they come back for more and refer their friends. That's what kickstarts the business flywheel, the economic flywheel. Business doesn't measure that, astonishingly. Net Promoter helps them a little bit, but most companies have no idea of all the new customers coming in the door, how many are coming because of referral versus how many are really coming because of sales, marketing, advertising, bot growth. So I think companies and strategists need to think, hmm, if the core to our success is inspiring teams to treat customers so they come back for more and bring their friends, we better get our measurement system upgraded so we can keep track of how many promoters we're creating who are behaving that way. And I think this is not a marketing issue. This is a strategy issue. One of the great frustrations for me over the decades of my career is people try to push this. Initially, they put it in marketing, that promoter, and then they push it in the HR and employees because it's making happy employees. You can't have happy customers without 
about happy employees, all true. But no, this is about purpose. This is about leadership and the culture that you build. What does your community stand for? How will you measure success? And if you keep measuring success on profits, you're lost. That's why only 10% of business leaders think that they exist to make customers happy because all the systems that they live by are built around financials and profits. Right, right. Yeah, we've had Pete Fader from Wharton here. I think he's done some work with you guys. Yeah, Pete's a great guy. Yeah, great guy. We're working on a book and doing research together. And he talks a lot about companies that can generate profit or generate revenue by acquiring customers that are actually low value while they're losing the high values. What are some of the metrics? I think you talk about the earned growth rate. Perhaps that's an example. Could you talk about what metrics we should be starting to embrace? Yeah, I am one of those guys who doesn't like to run the race that other people think that they should run. And so when I invented Net Promoter, it's because I didn't think people were measuring success very effectively. However, what I've learned is a survey-based framework, ask people zero through 10, how likely you'd recommend, it just is inappropriate for holding people accountable. Because the instant you link it to bonuses or really link it to career success, people start thinking, oh, this is all about the score. I just need that customer to give me a 10. I don't need to love that customer and treat them with loving care. I just need to bribe them or plead with them or whatever it takes to get a 10 so I don't get in trouble. Therefore, I came to the recognition that we need another metric, a sister metric, a twin to net promoter that is based on audited accounting outcomes so that you can stop pleading and bribing for a score. You can actually listen to the customer's feedback and learn how to get better. And that new metric is called earned growth. And there will be a Harvard Business Review article coming out at the end of the year and the book will have an appendix that teaches people how to calculate it. But the idea is very simple. How much of your growth is being generated by existing customers coming back for more and referring their friends and then measuring that just as carefully as you do profits. So what you're saying is you are measuring new customers, but you're distinguishing customers who are coming through referrals. Bought versus earned. I think it's earned earned. growth versus bought growth. And that's the distinction we really have to dig in. So many people will say, oh, our reputation is everything. It's in the Bible everywhere. You know, a good name is worth more than silver or gold is one of the Proverbs. But how many companies can actually tell you of all the new customers that came in, how many came primarily because of our reputation and referrals versus all those sales market investments, you know, to buy your growth? And I think 99% can't even come up with a good guess, let alone give me an accurate answer that they would report to their investors. Yeah. And I can see the implications in systems and measurement, they run deep. And so being able to have that insight takes a lot of- Well, and strategy. Let's say you're a really smart guy in charge of the strategy department for a Fortune 1000 company. And you know in your heart, the only way to win is to make sure your teams are treating customers with loving care. Anybody understands that. You don't want your kids to go buy from a company that doesn't treat people right. You don't want your mother there. You know it's true. But how do you build a strategy? Loving customers. Customers, well, you have to have outcome metrics. When we touch a customer, what kind of behaviors are we going to see that we define as success? And I think one of the missing elements that strategists have been missing is evidence that this is economically rational. This is not soft speak. You know, I'm a total shareholder return guy. I'm old enough where I really care about investment success. And I said to myself, well, let's look at the companies who have the best track record of loving customers. And Net Promoter score, when it's measured correctly, is pretty good because 
Net Promoter Score, I named it Net Lives Enriched originally. Because of all the lives you touch, how many are enriched, how many are diminished, that's promoters, that's detractors, that keeps track of, you know, have I lived up to the golden rule? And those companies who have the highest net promoter score in their industry consistently deliver the best total shareholder return over the decade. And if you want some, all the skeptics out there, go back to my last book, The Ultimate Question 2.0. Take every public company that I listed as an industry leader and go check out the total shareholder return. And if you don't want to do the work, I'll do it for you. They beat the market five times. So the median of those companies was 5x the median of the market. So Fred, have you been investing in these companies? Right, right. Yeah, yes, I, was like, I have. I've more than tripled the market over the decade by uh-huh. investing in the highest NPS companies. And so that links the loving your customers to financial returns because that'll attract investment. Yeah, it's the world you wish it was, but it is. (laughs) (laughs) But you got to measure it and over enough time frame to see the truth, as opposed to all the perturbations of baloney that come through, you know, the world of black swans and COVID and all these things that sort of hide the truth. But we look over a decade, these companies who love their customers are crushing for their investors. I have so many questions, but I know we're reaching the top of our time with you. Two big ones that I'd love for you to talk about is in your book, you show these list of values of companies like First Republic Bank and Discover, Amazon. What is the role of culture and values in what we're talking about here? As I've dug into these companies who love their customers, they build a community based on the golden rule, but then they parse the golden rule into the elements that make sense for their employees in their daily lives. You know, being trustworthy, speaking the truth, trying to be remarkable, don't just satisfy customers, really stretch. They get these into a set of values and then they live them and they build systems that are persistent, just like profit budgeting and capital allocation are persistent 24-7, 365. You have to build leadership culture systems that put those ideas front and center and help employees challenge you when you're making decisions that seem inconsistent with those values. And so I think, you know, it's very easy to talk soft, fuzzy, you know, love is a value. Let's get it broken down into pieces and build it into our daily process. And I show examples of companies who've done that, I think, brilliantly. Bain is one of the ones. There's a whole chapter about what really happened at Bain back in the 90s. No one's ever written about that before. But with 20 years of reflection, I think I finally got it right. And Bain is number one on Glassdoor this year. They've been in the top several every year of the last decade. Ever since Glassdoor started, Bain's been at or near the top of the list. And I said, why is that? Well, I think this philosophy of committing yourself to the success of your customer and then recognize and rewarding the teams who do the best job at that, that is what Bain, I think, has done in a breakthrough way. But it's not just Bain. It's Costco. It's Discover Financial and some digitals like Warby Parker and the old read about Built. These companies, big, small, digital, old line, it's all about love. Yeah. And not love in order to, it's the returns is a byproduct of the love, but the love is the primary motivator. Yeah, that's a tricky one, isn't it? In business, because you all think it's about transactions and self-interest and greed. But I think the more the world sees business in that light, that's why capitalism is in big trouble in so many countries, including Mm. ours. I think it's time to get a little bit clearer about The best businesses in my mind are doing a better job than any church that I've seen at creating a community of love. And it's economically sustainable. And I think the really smart guys have figured out we can measure and reward and have accountability to values. You know, if you do something as a customer that really breaks the golden rule in a great company, you get kicked out. You can't come back for more. 
mm-hmm. whether it's Costco or JetBlue. And we need that kind of discipline and business can give it. So what I think you're talking about is what you call customer capitalism. Yeah. Right? So could you just get practical for us and just lay out for us? You lay out kind of six elements or six steps that a leader needs to take in order to really fulfill on this promise of customer capitalism. Yeah. I mean, in the old days, I looked into capitalism and the etymology of that word. It goes all the way back to the way that you measured wealth back in <laughs> Egypt, I guess, was how many head of cattle you had. Capital is this decapita, the Latin for head. You just got the wrong heads. It's people. <laughs> the, the value in a business are the humans and how many lives you enrich. And so customer capitalism takes that point of view. It measures how many customers you have enriched their lives. And then for your employees, how many employees has the community enriched their lives? And it keeps track of that. So I think business leaders need to be very clear about the purpose of the business, how it's going to measure success. They have to build persistent systems that reinforce those ideas so that they can swim against the flowing current that's been created by financial metrics. And I think strategy needs to be evaluated based on economically sustainable ways to enrich the lives of customers and create promoters because the long-term sustainability and profitable growth only comes from customers coming back for more and bringing their friends. So let's measure that, guys. Got it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. How can people find you and follow us? Because me as a customer, as someone who serves companies, as someone who lives in society, I really hope that people are going to embrace what you have laid out for us. How can people start to adopt this? How can they find you? Well, read the book Winning on Purpose when it comes out in November. Maybe go to that book website. Bain is hosting it. So you can go to the Bain.com or that promotersystem.com within that, but just search on that. Search on my name, Fred Reichelt. You're going to get a body of work. The reason I'm wearing this cap. Oh, I, I want to read what it says for those who can't it see. It says so. zero defections. Remember zero back defections, like Ghostbuster God. days? Defections, yeah, yeah. yeah. This cap was back from the 1980s, I think, when we started the loyalty practice at Bain. And my first idea was zero defections. You know, don't have people leaving. Mm-hmm. But what I figured out is that's the Confucian golden rule. That's the Torah. When you mm-hmm. move forward to love thy neighbor, it's create promoters and rich the lives you touch. And I hope that that's the message that people take away. Beautiful. Thank you again, Fred, for writing this book, doing your work, and for sharing it with us. Kaihan, my pleasure. Thanks. Thank you to our guests. Thank you to our producers, Karina Reyes and Zach Ness, our editor, and the rest of the team. If you like what you heard, please follow, download, and subscribe. I'm your host, Kaihan Krippendorf. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week with another episode of Outthinkers.